welcome to this edition of the John and Leah Show. This is the program where each and every Sunday night we get together for three hours. We talk about the news of the week, and we do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. We're heard on 20 different stations throughout the nation, including in New York and in Los Angeles. I broadcast from just outside of Los Angeles. My co-host, by the way, my name is John Ziegler. My co-host, Leah Brandon, broadcasts just outside of, well, I guess inside Birmingham, Alabama. I'm in Birmingham, right in Bur- here. In Birmingham, where they're very happy uh, this weekend because yeah. uh, they are the home of the Heisman Trophy winning Derrick Henry from the Crimson Tide of Alabama. I'm sure everyone's very excited about that there. Yes, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, we are. Of course, in Alabama, those kinds of things are just expected. You're, you're, it's just another another day on the way to a national championship as far as they're concerned. I, I did say, uh, well, well, I thought that Christian McCaffrey should have won the award because he was a better all-around player. I did appreciate the fact that um, Derrick Henry's grandmother in the hospital bed. Did you see the video of her in the hospital bed? <laughs> I did. I, I mean, did. Th- if that doesn't just melt your heart, not, nothing yep. will. I mean, his, he was basically raised by his grandmother, and she's in the hospital, and there you know, several dozen people with her watching the ceremony. They all had, by the way, Heisman Trophy winning T-shirts already. So that, <laughs> I, 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 I actually, that was the, that was the number one reason why I was glad he won because I was thinking, how horrible would it have been if he had lost? You know, they're in the hospital they room with poor, burn their shirts out right, back. with poor grandma. <laughs> they would have been like, oops. Um, but you know, she, and I don't know. You know, she's rather old and obviously not doing great. But she, she, I loved how she propped herself up in the uh, in the hospital bed to make sure she got a good view of uh, her grandson winning the. Heisman Trophy, so that was super cool. It seems um, East Coast, West Coast, because over the well, East and the South all love Derrick Henry, and then you guys over on that coast, you're all wrapped up in this uh, Christian dude. <laughs> well, part of it is just because of the time zones. You get to watch those games. Sure. I mean, that's a absolutely. It doesn't have as much impact as it used to have in the old days. Uh, when not every game was televised and it wasn't TiVo and DVR and all that. But uh, I still think it has a little bit of an impact. But, look, I mean, you know, I'm not as big into the award anymore. Uh, You know, once they took it away from Reggie Bush, which didn't make any sense to me since it's not an NCAA entity, uh, I kind of thought, well, this is all big fraud. I mean, O.J. Simpson's, you know, still officially a Heisman Trophy winner, but Reggie Bush isn't. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot Johnny of sense. Johnny Football. Hello. Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. the whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's it's basically a business now. See, that, that my number one thing about college football, and I know some people get upset that we talk about college football this time of year in the first segment, but my number one thing, if I could wrap it up in one sentence, is this. College football became great because it was a religion. You can't take a religion and make it into a business and have people still treat it like it's a religion. And that's what's going to be the death eventually of college football. They've taken a religion. They've turned it into a business. Eventually, people will realize it's a business and no longer a religion. Uh, it's going to take a while because people, because <laughs> people, especially where you are, they still think it's a religion. Um, and maybe in some it'll part, always be a religion. Here. <laughs> but, but anyway, I was, I was glad to see his grandma happy. That was cool. Um, my, my I loved week, his speech too. I thought it was fantastic. Well, well um, I. Okay, fine. Um, I, I didn't. I, I thought it was okay. Um, 
you know, I'm, as you can tell, I'm a little bit under the weather. My uh, three-year-old daughter was sick this week, so now I'm sick. Um, my wife hates my guts, so I, you know, this is going to be another one of those three-hour therapy sessions for me. I'm glad I'm doing. She hates the you just tonight. Did you do something to I bring know, this on? I don't know what I did. I just know that she hates my guts. Uh, I, I was just the, you know, the wrong place, at the wrong time. One of those, you know, the husband <laughs> takes the brunt of whatever fury there is. That's my job. Uh, so I'm very glad. In, in some senses, I'm very glad to be here. You know, I'm under the weather, and you know, a little bit out of it. Uh, I'm very happy to be here to to be able to get one get out of the house and uh, two to be <laughs> to be able to engage in what I often refer to as the three hour therapy session that is the John and Leah show because there's a lot to talk about uh, and a lot to get off my chest uh, particularly about the state of the GOP race yeah. because uh, there a lot happened this week and we are in a in a very very volatile situation that could go in a lot of different directions. Uh, and I have a lot of thoughts to share on all of that. But when we come back, we'll start really with, with how this whole week evolved, which was learning more about what really happened with the San Bernardino terrorist attack. And that will really, I think, set up the rest of the program. So stick with us. This is the John and Leah Show. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. And this is the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com, where you can find links to listen to each and every one of the 20 different radio stations across this formerly great nation of ours, which broadcasts the John and Leah Show each and every Sunday night for three hours into this excursion of the news of the week. And obviously... The big news last week was the terrorist attack uh, in San Bernardino, California, not far from where I'm broadcasting from, uh, as I do each and every week on the John and Leah show in Southern California. But uh, as we were talking last week, Leah, it it started to become very clear uh, that the the picture that was emerging was very different than the one that we were led to believe was the truth, surprise, surprise, by the news media in the first couple of days and by the Obama Obama administration in the first couple of days after that attack. And now it appears very much as if our instincts and the instincts of a lot of conservatives were in fact dead on. In fact, we may have even underestimated uh, just how obviously this was a terrorist attack. So why don't you give us an update on what we learned this week about what really happened with regard to San Bernardino? Okay, so this week we learned a lot more about Saeed Farouk and his Pakistani wife, Tashfeen Malik. First, uh, Malik passed three background checks Her Pakistani address that she gave for the fiancé visa does not exist, and a cursory check of her application after the fact revealed that she attended an Islamist school in Pakistan, which forges anti-West views in their students. U.S. law enforcement also discovering old and unreported Facebook postings related to jihad. We learned this week that immigration officials don't even check social media posts as part of their background checks. Now, Malik and Farouk 
only met once before she came to America to marry him. This begs the question that Senator Lindsey Graham asked the head of the FBI, James Comey. Is there any evidence that this uh, marriage was arranged by a terrorist organization or terrorist operative, or was it just a meeting on the Internet? I don't know the answer to that yet. Do you agree with me that if it was arranged by a terrorist operative of organization, that is a game changer? It would be a very, very important thing to know. Now, we also learned that with that K-1 visa program, it has a religious exception just for Muslims that they don't even have to meet one time before that visa is granted. Now, we're also learning more about the so-called neighbor who bought the guns for the terrorists to use in the attack. He's a lot more than a neighbor. He converted to Islam, and he and Farouk went to the same mosque. He actually married a relative of Farouk's and may have been paid to do it. Enrique Marquez told the FBI that he and Farouk used to build pipe bombs as a hobby, and he said the two of them planned a terror plot in 2012 but called it off because there were some terror arrests in the area. All right, I want to talk about the neighbor uh, a little bit later because he seems like a complete nut job. The fact that he's oh, even, yes. the fact that he's even talking is seemingly insane. Uh, I read one article which, is in the most delicate way possible, basically said this guy is an idiot for talking because he's going to incriminate himself and he's going to go to jail. Uh, you know, and, and of course, last week he was not talking at this time because he was he had checked himself into a mental institution, yes. w- which you said at the time you thought was because he was trying to avoid talking. I thought it was just simply because, you know, if somebody killed 14 people after I got them the guns, I might check myself into a mental institution, too. Uh, we don't really know for sure which of those scenarios is more truthful, but something clearly is not right with that guy, um, and, and we don't know exactly what it is yet. But but let's go back to to the romance here, or the alleged <laughs> romance. Um, my my quote-unquote favorite detail that we learned this week is, and again, I almost feel like we have to preface everything we say with the understanding that this Seems to be true, but we don't know for sure because it could get corrected later because it seems like that happens an awful lot in this story, in any story story like it. But we were told by the news and reputable news sources this week that before they ever met Farouk and Malik, before they ever met, while they were conversing over the Internet, they discussed jihad and martyrdom. Yes. Now... That's forgetting the seriousness of that for a second. That's flat out hilarious because, I mean, you know, back when I was a single guy in the Internet age, you, you meet a new woman that you haven't met. You, you, you want to meet a woman and you're engaging either in email or or whatever, Internet dating, whatever it is. There's always that moment where, you know, you're trying to figure out, OK, is this going to get romantic or not? Right. Is this is this just a friendship thing or is there something more here? Or how far do you want to go? There's a very delicate balance because you don't you don't know. Right. So. Yes. So I might I'm immediately thinking, all right, when when you're when your goal is jihad and martyrdom, how do, who's the first one to broach that subject? How does that work? What's the protocol when it comes to Internet dating as to who's the first one to broach martyrdom and jihad? Like, I guess today, um, this is, you know, we didn't have this technology back when I was single. I guess people send pictures of each other, sometimes naked pictures or whatever. So how does that work with with potential jihadists? They probably met in a jihad chat room. But I mean, I, 
I'm being somewhat serious, but also facetious here. Because that is fascinating to me. Who raises the subject first? Now, because I, I don't know how that works. I don't know what the protocol is. I, I mean, what's the etiquette? There's got to be some sort of dating etiquette with regard to who raises the issue of jihad. Are, are you really into jihad or martyrdom? You know, I mean, it's kind of like the, you know, the, there's all sorts of things you could equate it to in a, in a, uh, you know, traditional. Uh, romantic relationship where you know how risque are you? Well, I doing I don't do jihad on the first date. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't I don't go to martyrdom. I don't go all the way to home plate until like the fourth or fifth date. Sorry, I don't do martyrdom right away. Um, I mean this this is insane. But but thinking about it more seriously and more rationally, if that's true, if they you know because let's look at it from a realistic standpoint. The the point underlying my facetious scenario there, making the analogy to a romantic situation, is that, of course, nobody is going to subtly breach the subject of jihad and martyrdom unless they're very confident the other person is into jihad and martyrdom, right? I mean— Well, of course. they right. Look, it all comes from the family— I mean, they're interviewing. They've got 400 interviews going with this thing. I believe that Farouk's uh, relatives in Pakistan know her relatives, and that's how this whole thing came about. And what are you? That's basing, what I believe. What are you basing that on? I haven't heard that theory. But well, because because that's where everybody's from originally, correct? Well. Yeah, but I haven't read anything that connects the two of them like that. I, I've read some stuff where her father is 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 definitely radicalized, or, okay. um, and that that might have been the original source of all this. It's you know I have, and if it's out there, I've missed it. I don't know that we have any evidence as to what connected them. I think that's obviously the key question at this point. How did they get connected on the Internet? But here's – I want to make sure I make this this previous point more clear because maybe I, maybe in, in trying to make a joke, I didn't make it clear. Here, here's why this is important. The fact that they felt so comfortable – I mean, again, using that analogy. Let's, let's pretend, right, in, in, before – two people ever met in a romantic relationship that they started talking about, you know, graphic sex acts. They would only do that if they felt comfortable because they had met in a situation that made it obvious that both people were interested in such things, right? Yes. Well, similarly, you would only broach the subject of martyrdom and jihad before you ever met if... To your point and your theory and, and kind of where I'm trying to go with this is if there, there was a underlying understanding that that was the purpose of them being connected, right? So you're saying uh, you definitely believe that the terror organization set them up I don't, or something I don't like know, that? I don't know that. What I'm saying is the, the only way to look at this logically, and I realize logic doesn't always dictate, but it, but you have to explain that fact to me. How is it that two people who have never met, if it's true and it appears to be, that they're discussing martyrdom before they ever met? Before you, before you ever met? You're talking about martyrdom? Playoffs? You're talking about martyrdom here? That's crazy. Unless they were, that was the purpose of the meeting. You get what right. I'm saying? That, yes. that 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 was why they were being connected. That's the only way that makes sense, at least 
to me. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about this a little bit more, and then we'll get into what Donald Trump did all about did regarding all this on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. In the next hour, we'll get to our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016. The name Donald Trump may be mentioned more than a couple times, as is usually the case in this bizarre world in which we're now living. But first, I want to um, take this segment to, to further delve into what we've learned about the San Bernardino terrorist attack, because after all, with our attention spans so short, Leah, uh, it, that story is almost over at this point. Uh, the, the last burning embers, unless we really learn something huge, are kind of dying out, which, of course, was part of the Obama administration's strategy, I believe, by trying to milk as many days as they could out of this bogus notion that this could have been workplace violence. Right. Uh, I think that was that's ab- what they do. They're good at it. It was absolutely calculated. I mean, they're not imbeciles. They really aren't. I mean, they're not bright, not nearly as bright as they think they are. But they knew. They knew. They, they <laughs> immediately. They had to know. I mean, I mean, everybody knew. Uh, you know, my three-year-old daughter knew. She. I mean, exactly. come on. Exactly. I, mean, I mean, it was. It's, it was as obvious as it could possibly be. But they wanted to stretch this out as long as they could because they know. That our attention spans for a story like this is about a week. About a week, maybe 10 days if something particularly interesting happens. Um, and But the investigation is still going on. I mean, heck, they were still in your lake there until, what, yesterday? Oh, I oh, no, the investigation will go on. And I'm sure we're going to find lots of horrible, disturbing and frightening things, but no one cares. Oh, I, mean, I mean, the media doesn't really care for this narrative because uh, it, it shifted from what they wanted. And, you know, it's a, now it's an old story by their standards. So let's find out what, you know, what Donald Trump's yelling about. Um, you know, and, and the reality is that, um, unfortunately, this has a huge problem. This is a huge part of the problem. There's so many elements to the problem. But one of them is that once we find out the truth, and, and, and this happens all the time in big stories, once we find out what the real truth is, no one cares anymore, or at least the media doesn't care anymore. And, and we're finding out some really important truths. I mean, I mean, we don't know for sure all the details yet because so much of this is murky. But let's just go through the big picture. I think what we can kind of piece together, and you tell me if I'm on the right track here. The first, okay. thing, the first thing I think we now know for sure, Leah, which is what we theorized last week, which is that the Farouk family is completely full of crap when, yes. when they gave us the... I nothing. I know nothing. I mean, that, that was absurd, and we called it as absurd, and it's a, it is a joke. The idea that the mom didn't know what was going on, um, my guess is the brother-in-law knew what was going on. He mm-hmm. was the one out there in that press conference minutes after Farouk's name became public, which was impossible unless they were anticipating something along those lines or at least had some – uh, you know, very intimate knowledge that something might be up. So that's that's number one. So and, and why is that important? That's important because it goes to the whole notion that 
that just as we have been saying, and to his credit, President Obama gave lip service to, although he didn't really believe it, this notion that it's the, the Muslim community that has to take some responsibility here because always they know something. Yes, they do. Always. And, I mean, whenever we look at any one of these things, at the very least, they should have known something. And they say nothing because either they're tacitly approving of it or they're afraid. But the, but the reality is if, if the Muslim community was far more willing and able to, lack of a better term, rat out people within their own who were doing these things, these things would get disrupted all the time because always, always, always somebody's going to know. And in this case, the people that knew something didn't do anything. That's number one. Number two, with regard to the the the, the particulars of Farouk and Malik, it's very obvious that this was an operation that was planned for a very long time. Uh, and from from Farouk's perspective, if you believe his his neighbor, the guy who got the guns, that they had already planned something in 2012 and backed out. Right now, now this this is where things get a little confusing because you know Donald Trump and I think you know I think I bought into this theory too and it sounds like you might have as well. We were kind of along the lines of well, was the the wife the driving force here? Well, it appears as if Farouk was already planning terrorist attacks before he ever even had any contact with Malik, the the right. the female. So. So it appears as if this thing was basically going on two different tracks. That Farouk was was hot. Radicalized. Right. He was hot to do some jihad. And, you know, maybe he got married as as a way of getting a helper, you know, Batman and Robin type of situation. And um, But what's most disturbing about the whole notion, I mean, let's just think about what this woman, had Malik, had to do here. She moves from from her country to here. She has a kid with a guy she barely knows. And, and and so she goes through all of this, all apparently as a ruse to kill 14 Americans. Well, they uh, apparently were planning something a lot bigger. Okay, but, but still, regardless, that's what when, ends up being the result. That, to me, is scary as hell. Yeah, it is. Because I mean, this is one person, not particularly special. And we from all from all accounts so far, although we might find out differently, you know, no no major ties to major terrorist organizations, seemingly almost on her own, decides to spend a couple of years, uproot her, leave her entire family, everybody she knows, come here, have a child as cover. Because that's what it appears as it was happening. I mean, so what other logical explanation would there be for the child, right? Why would you have a child? I mean, unless, unless you knew you were going to kill yourself, I guess, and you wanted to leave some sort of legacy behind, but you're going to leave a six-month child behind? Yeah, but that, that's a, it's a different mindset. I mean, you know, the, the, uh, the Muslims are, you know, they have eight, seven, eight children. I mean, it is to procreate and propagate. That's what it's about. Well— I mean, I can't pretend to understand fully the mindset. All I know is, here's the bottom line, that that level of hatred and yeah. that level of commitment to destroying us by an average person is almost impossible to defeat in the long run. 
You, it is. You, you can't beat that. How do you nope. beat? How do you beat that in a free society? You, you cannot beat that in the long run. If someone is willing to do that kind of work over that time period, put that kind of commitment in, um, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't know how we beat them. I mean, especially when we're too politically correct to say anything and the Muslim That's community right. won't do anything to rat out their own. Correct. You, you put that all together in an equation, there are no good answers out of that one. That does not compute to anything other than eventual defeat. And that's reality, folks. I'm sorry to tell you, but that's that's to me the most disturbing thing of this whole deal is how depressing how depressing it is that our chances in this fight are so dim because we are at such disadvantages. Some of them are self-inflicted, but some of them are because the enemy just I mean, when they think they're they think they're going to die and they're going to be rewarded in the afterlife, they think that that's an awfully difficult thing to defeat. If you're going to live in a free society um, and, you know, we, we are so, supposedly still in a free society. Weirdly, we're infringing upon no. our own civil liberties, <laughs> but we're, we, we're weirdly we're, we're impinging upon our own civil liberties in areas that don't help us fight terrorism. But then the areas that would help us fight terrorism, then those civil liberties are sacred. You know? Yes, they are. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the bizarre world we're living in there. So we still don't know for sure exactly uh, this whole picture, and I'm going to be curious is to see more of the the pieces being filled in, as I'm sure they will, and the media will ignore them going on, and we'll, we'll continue to update on that. But obviously, in reaction to all this, Donald Trump decided to make himself uh, the focus of all the attention, and we'll talk about that when we come back on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. And we spent most of this hour talking about what we've learned this week, about what really happened in the terrorist attack in San Bernardino. And in response to that, several days later, President Obama finally gave a speech a week ago tonight, which was very poorly received, finally acknowledging that, shockingly, yes, this was an act of terrorism and not the most bizarre case of workplace violence in the history of man. Uh, and, of course, uh, that, the speeches I referenced, Lee, was poorly received, uh, and, and the president seemed to be very much on the ropes, although he's never on the ropes that much because, because the media is always on his side Covering. and because most of the American people aren't really paying very much attention, and most American people who are in the middle don't have enough of a month of a clue to figure things out for themselves. So, you know, for him to be on the ropes, you know, it's going to be very difficult for his approval rating to ever get below 40 percent as long as the the media stands by him, which they do religiously. Ugh. And I do mean that literally. It's a religion for them. But yep. uh, so we have so we have that we have the president looking really bad as his speech poorly received by the way also happen to have some some very bad depending on your perspective bad news on obamacare which you know folks this is would be a shock to the mainstream news media because they never reported but obamacare is dying before it's our falling eyes falling apart yeah, yeah it's it, withering on the vine well, it's, it's more than withering it's collapsing it is collapsing even more rapidly and more dramatically than many of its critics ever thought possible and yet 
we're pretending as if that didn't happen, largely because, oh, look, over there, let's see what Donald Trump did. Um, And so that's basically what happened this week when Donald Trump announced that he had a proposal for trying to combat terrorism that was rather radical. Leah, tell us about that. Yes, he made an announcement. He sent out a press release and made an announcement, and here's what he said. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. And the news media had no reaction. No, just kidding. The news media... (laughs) The news media stepped away from all objectivity and journalistic rules and slammed him for most of their newscasts. So did the Republican presidential candidates and the new Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. Also, Josh Earnest, the White House spokesperson. The Trump campaign for months now has had a dustbin of history-like quality to it. Uh, From the vacuous sloganeering to the outright lies to even the fake hair, the whole carnival barker routine that we've seen uh, for some time now. Now, he also said that this should disqualify him from being a candidate uh, and running for president. Interestingly, by the next day, Trump had gained eight points in South Carolina. But when even Benjamin Netanyahu denounces what you said about Muslims, you may have gone too far. That's a pretty good way of putting it, Leah. Um, here's all right. There's there's so many different aspects to this. Um, let me just say that that first of all, I don't understand. Maybe you can help me comprehend this. Mm-hmm. Why Trump felt like he needed to use the word Muslim? Because there was no need. He if he had come out and if he had said. We need to ban all immigration from the following countries, right? And just pick the top five or six countries. Terrorists uh, sponsored. Right. I mean, you know, everybody knows what those are. I mean, Mm -hmm. no one. Pakistan. Right. There's no there's not going to be any lobby in America for for any of those nations that has any political power. So if you had just stated you know, the, the five or six nations that um, that you thought were most dangerous and said we're barring all Im- immigration from them, regardless of your religion. Right. Um, then I don't think there would have been there would not have been anywhere near the hue and cry, the controversy uh, from. And, and I think he probably would have achieved the same objective, his objective, clearly, although. Maybe this isn't clear. At least one of his objectives, if you're giving him the benefit of the doubt, if you're presuming he's sincerely trying to win the nomination and the presidency, which I don't know if we can presume that anymore. But if we presume that, his objective here was to to make himself the most ardent defender of the country, the most ardent critic of the terrorists, to carve out his place as the guy, right, on this issue. Correct. That, that was, he was, no one was going to get to the right of him on this, but he didn't need to go that far. And so why, why did he? That to me is I'll the tell most you why important. He did. Okay, tell me. I, I'll tell you why he did. Well, first of all, it was a mistake, but the reason why he singled out Muslims is because He had in his hands a poll that came out recently, within the last month, that shocked me to my core uh, and that nobody talks about. 
And this particular poll is of American Muslims. And 25% of American Muslims believe in jihad here in America. Well, I, Violent I, jihad. I, I don't know. And- Leah, I, that that, that I, I don't think is an accurate representation. Are you talking about the Pew poll that he cited? There's, well, there's two of them. Okay. There's a Pew poll and there's another one, which is the one he cited. But they both say the same thing. And that 51% of American Muslims want to live under Sharia law. And so he cited that poll. So he said Muslims when he should have said, you know, immigration, let's shut it down. Because obviously our visa program is broken. And so he should have gone at it from that point of view. I understand. But it was the poll that set him off. Well, yeah, okay. And and that's, that's, again, giving him the benefit of the doubt. My inclination here is this might have been the moment, the the quote-unquote tell moment, when he gave us the first real indication he has no intention of winning the presidency. Because if you really, if you really have as your goal winning the presidency, there is zero, there is zero rational, and that's again presuming he's being rational here, there's zero rational explanation for why you use the term Muslim and ban an entire religion, regardless of where they're from. So, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of ridiculous situations where this would be not only impractical. How the hell do you tell if somebody's a Muslim, by the way? Um, but also just flat out wrong. I, I don't, by the way, believe that it was in, inherently unconstitutional. I think that's a somewhat open question. Uh, where reasonable people can differ, but none of that would have mattered if he had just said, here are the five or six terrorist-leaning states that we're not going to accept any immigration from, regardless of your religion. Uh, To me, when you use an entire religion and say you're going to ban it in that kind of language, politically, and he's he's not a dumb guy. I mean, in some ways, he's a savant politically, at least on the Republican side, especially for a guy who's not a conservative. That, by the way, might be the most amazing thing about Donald Trump. Here's a guy who's a billionaire. He's completely, you know, in a bubble. He's not a conservative, yet he seems to have his finger on the pulse of a lot of conservatives, which amazes me. I I, I, I have a weird respect for him in that way. But back to the, the major point. The major point of this is that, to me, politically, it felt like, presuming he's rational, and because he's not a dumb guy, here's a guy who has decided he is only interested in solidifying his 30% of the GOP base, and that's all he cares about. Because, Maybe, yeah. And, and, and that if, if he can solidify his 30%, whatever it is, 35% tops, uh, 25% towards the bottom, maybe 20% in some states that don't aren't necessarily – uh, wedded to him, but anywhere between 20 and 35 percent, that if he can get that solidified, that, that he can cause all the havoc he needs to cause, and that that is his goal, that, and, and that his goal is not to win the presidency, it's not even to win the nomination, because he sees, I think he's smart enough to realize, certainly now he should be, because he's not going to be president. He's not going to be president. Even before the Muslim thing, he wasn't going to be president, but now he's really not going to be president um, because there's no, no – and there's re- other reasons why that has caused that reality to be obvious, which I'll get to in the next hour. But if – I think the end goal now 
is for him to get to the convention, have the most highly rated convention speech in history, and be able to be seen as the kingmaker, that he will get to decide who the nominee is. He doesn't want the aggravation of being the nominee and, by the way, get his ass kicked by Hillary. Uh, are you following me here? That- yeah, you're just you're very funny because you the prism that you see everything through is political, uh, especially with Donald Trump. And you've been that way, you know, the whole time since he's been there. And you might be a hundred percent correct. Now, when I looked at this statement, because I had seen this poll, I had seen the other poll, and it scared the bejesus out of me. And so for me. I totally related when he said that because it's scary when you see no, what's look, in this poll. Again, I'm not disagree. I want to make this clear. The intent is a good one. You could have done a much, much better job of articulating it. <laughs> uh, we'll talk more about this now. We're number two of the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. <laughs> 